Now, let me tell you a little story. President Calvin Coolidge, um, he, he was elected president, and he wanted to give something back to his hometown, and so he let some of his hometown general citizens come to the White House for, for a meal. They were nervous. I don't know if you've ever been called to the White House for dinner, but I've not. They were nervous. What should we wear? You know, what should we do? They got together and said, just do what the president does, whatever he does. I don't know what fork to eat with. I don't know what to do with my napkin. I did, you know. And so they just decided that's what they do. Well, when as soon as he sat down, even as the food is being served, he grabbed his coffee cup and saucer. They thought maybe at the White House they drink coffee first. He starts putting milk in it, fills it with milk and about 10 scoops of sugar. So they filled theirs with milk and about 10 scoops of sugar, started stirring it up, and we'll see what he does next. Well, then he took his and set it on the floor for his cat to drink it. And now they're stuck with milk and sugar. It occurs to me that's exactly what's happening in our culture today. People have just picked something out mindlessly and said, I'm going to do what they do. It's some political thing. It's some race thing. But it's not a kingdom thing. You need to remember, you're not a part of a protest movement. You're not a part of a race movement. You're part of the moving of God in the last days. You're part of God's kingdom. You're not of this world. I want you to go with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It is one of the greatest little Bible verses. I'm going to use it as a jumping off point, but I promise you I'll come back one day and preach a whole sermon just on this verse. It says, I want to tell you that when I start reading this, the second word in this verse is the most important word in the whole verse. When I get to the second word, I want everybody to say it out loud with me, okay? It's going to come quick now. It's the second word. Beloved now. Oh, that sounded good. Do it again. Beloved now. Pastor Tom, did they say that in Hartzell? Try it again. Beloved, now we are children of God. Right now. Right now you're a child of God. If you've come to the place where you realize God is real, his son is real, and he's the savior of the world, and you need a savior. If you've come to that place, then you are right now a child of God. You don't have to have it all together. I bet there are a lot of things you'd like to see different in your life. In fact, raise your hand if there's some things in your life that you need to clean up, straighten up, get better, raise your hand. You, there's some things maybe you ought to pray more. Maybe you got to change some of the actions and the words you say. Maybe there's some stuff you're not doing that, or you are doing that you know God doesn't want you to do. Come on, one more time. Uh, confession is good for the soul. Okay. In spite of all that stuff, and before you change any of that stuff, you are already right now a child of God. And I, I don't have any better news that I could ever give you than that right there. But it goes on and it says, even though I'm right now a child of God, it has not yet been revealed what, what I shall be. I, I'm actually going to even get better. How can I get better? Well, keep reading. We know that when he's revealed, we will be like him for we'll see him as he is. How am I going to get better? I'm going to get closer to him, and he's going to reveal himself to me more and more and more. I'm going to get to know him better. And you're thinking, well, preacher, you're the preacher. I thought you already knew God, you know? You've been to Bible college and seminary. Surely you know him as much as he can be known. No, 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 there is so much more. <laughs> this morning in, in, in the first service, they started singing that third song, and I, I've, Lord have mercy, I know the chord progression, I know all the words, I could play it and sing it, but it spoke to me like it was the brand new. How many know that's the way God is? Man, your life, you feel like you've been so far with God, and he can come to you, and he can just touch you. 
And see, that's what he wants to do over and over and over again. Keep revealing to you, keep making you hungry for where you belong and that is his kingdom. So I want to start off with a first point. I've given you notes to follow along with me. And this is a simple, it may seem very simple, but it's something I believe Christians have forgotten. And it's a foundational truth. Write this down. This world is not my home. Can I hear an amen to that? Greek philosopher Aristotle said, the true nature of a thing is the highest it can become. I believe that. And if that's true, the highest I can become is like Jesus because that's my nature. I'm made in his image. And that might be hard for some people to grasp because you feel like Jesus is so up here and you're so not. All right, I've got a little illustration to show you in my pocket here. Can't really see this very well, but it's, it's a handful of acorns. Tiny. They're really small this time of year. Look, look how small that is. Now, this, this becomes a massive oak tree, Right? And in North Alabama, they are super tall and beautiful, majestic. I mean, when you, uh, one of my favorite prayer places is underneath a grove of giant oak trees. And I just like to look up and it reminds me of how majestic God is. Before I moved here, I lived several years in Mobile. And the oak trees there, they're different. They're not as tall, but they're super wide, fat. And their limbs stretch out. In fact, if you drive down Government Boulevard in downtown Mobile... It's a four-lane highway, but the trees on the right side of the road reach all the way until the trees on the left side of the road meet them in the middle, and, and it's like you're driving through a tunnel of trees. It's beautiful. And because it's illegal to cut down an oak tree in the city of Mobile, one of those trees on Government Boulevard has taken the four-lane and made it into three lanes because it's grown out and taken over a lane. There's really merging delays there every day because of how massive they are. And they all began like this. Because, get this, when God builds something massive and big, he starts really, really small. If you think your spirituality is just... Did you say how I saved it? I mean, it, it could have gone anywhere. If you think your spirituality is just tiny... That's okay. God starts really big projects on something really, really small. Today, maybe the only thing you've got in, in faith is, I kind of believe God's real. I feel like he kind of spoke to me today. You know what you got? The beginning of something massive. <laughs> I mean, something so huge and so enormous. And see, God doesn't just take already good people and make them into great people. He takes scoundrels and turns them into saints. Oh, the Bible's full of it. One of my favorite modern stories of it is the story of Chuck Colson. Oh, you should read his story if you didn't heard of him. Chuck Colson was a scoundrel. He was in the Nixon administration, worked at the White House. They called him the hatchet man. If there was anything underhanded, dirty, or illegal to be done, Chuck Colson was your guy. He went down in Watergate, went to prison right here in Montgomery, Alabama, at Maxwell uh, Prison. And down in Montgomery, Chuck Colson met Jesus in prison. Nobody believed it. In fact, the Boston Globe called it jailhouse religion. They said, quote, if Mr. Colson can repent of his sins, there just has to be hope for everybody. They meant it sarcastically. He believed it. He said, you know what? They're absolutely right. If I can be forgiven of my sins, anybody can. So he started prison fellowship. And it now has become Prison Fellowship International. 
They're in 119 countries with 33,000 active volunteers and have led hundreds of thousands of prisoners, ex-cons, and their families to faith in Jesus because somebody just believed, even though this is all I've got to give Jesus, I'm going to water it. I'm going to do my best to grow with it and see what he does. And God turns little faith into big things. Give God praise if you've ever seen him do that. God, we thank, we praise you for that. And that praise is a testimony to God that, Lord, if you did it for that person, you could do it for me. If you did that once before, you could do it again. So here's the second thing I want you to write down. In fact, I'll, I'll put it on the screen, guys. Say it with me out loud. Everybody say, I am not and never will be hopeless. Say it again. I am not and never will be hopeless. God's already proven himself over and over again to take people that others thought were no good and put his purpose inside of them. See, God's purpose ultimately is to conform you into his image. Now, some of us think we have an escapist mentality that God's purpose is to save us from our sins, help us to shudder in place through the bad times, and then take us to heaven. A lot of people are living that right now, hunkered down for Jesus. I went to a church that preached a lot about that, just waiting for Jesus to come. I got saved, and I'm going to hold this pew right here till Jesus comes. That old devil, he's out there to get you. You just hang on till Jesus comes. But the Bible says you're supposed to be conformed into the image of God. Now, I mean, do you, do you ever see God? Do you ever get an image of God going, oh, that old devil's after me? Is that his image? Or do you see God stepping on top of the devil's throat, man, <laughs> taking the enemy's territory right back to the kingdom of God? That's you. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15 and 49. Just as we've borne the likeness of the earthly man, we're going to also bear the likeness of the man from heaven. In other words, you've got the earthly man, the sinful man, the, 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 the sinful part of you that doesn't look pretty at all. Sins, the mistakes, the, the, the guilt of it, the unforgiveness, the, the judgmental. We're all, we like to judge others, right? The, the hateful, the fearful, the weak. God says, that's okay. That's where you begin. You're going to bear the image of the heavenly. Look at, read it one more time. Put it on the screen, guys, again. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just like you bore the likeness of the earthly, you're going to bear the likeness of the heavenly. Somebody say, amen. What, what you're saying is, let that be so in my life, God. I want to be different. What that means is you on your worst day was not a surprise to God. It was entirely predictable. Think for just a minute. I, 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 this is a holy place. I like to think happy thoughts. But for one second, think about some badness, some embarrassing moments, some things you wish had never happened in your life. You on your worst day, that was entirely predictable. God knew it was coming because you bear the image of the earthly. But what he's saying is you're going to bear the image of the heavenly. You're not going to stay that way. That's not going to define you. You're not going to continue to do the wrong things because he has something better for you. Watch this. Colossians 3 and 9 says, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man, the earthly man. You put him off and his deeds. That's not you anymore. And verse 10 says, And you've put on the new man, the heavenly man, who is renewed. Everybody say renewed. That's an interesting word. Renewed. Made new again. You don't need a Greek lexicon to understand that. Renewed. It reminds me when Paul says, if anybody is in Christ, if anybody receives Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. 
why, why do you go to church? Because you got it all to get. No, because I need to be renewed. I, I, need, I need to start over again. I need a renewal. How, how do I get renewed? And here's my last point. Here's how. Only God can make me new again. I can't give enough money to buy a clean conscience. I can't do enough good deeds to make myself a good person again. I got burned in my mind a conversation I had with a great guy who goes to our church. And I don't know, I think I was maybe bragging on him about something good he'd done. And he said, well, you know, Pastor, all I'm hoping for is at the end of my day, when I die, that I've done at least one more good thing than all the bad I've done. I quickly began to choke him for that terrible theology. That's awful theology. Like, you know, I, I lied, but then I donated some money. And I, I cheated somebody, but then I helped an old lady across the street. You know, I, I looked at pornography, but then, you know, I went on a mission trip and I canceled that out. That is not at all the theology of the kingdom of God. That's not what God's saying. That's not how God's building us. God, one moment in God's presence, the grace of God is bigger than all of the wrongs you have ever done in your life. Can somebody say amen to that? That's, God, that's called grace. It's not works. It's not earned. It's not deserved. And only God can make you new. You can't make yourself new. You know, I started pastoring. I was uh, in my mid-20s. And there were some older people in our congregation that were so, uh, so kind to me. They, they looked up to me as their shepherd, even though I was young enough to be their grandson, you know. One of those men was a guy named Gurley Carden. Maybe a few people in the room remember Gurley. Uh, Gurley was in his 70s and he had a heart attack. They rushed him down to Princeton Hospital in Birmingham, and I, I drove down with the family. And they took uh, tests of his heart and had images of his heart, and they showed it to him and us. You are 100% blocked in all major arteries in top and bottom of your heart, left and right, 100% blocked. I've never heard of that. And Gurley said, well, how am I still living then? If anybody ever met Gurley, you know exactly what I'm talking about because Gurley talked out of his mouth and his nose like this. How am I still living? And the doctor said, look right here. There's a C-shaped little vessel right there. He said, you weren't born with that and you're not supposed to have that. That just grew there. And it's feeding the top and bottom of your heart and that's the only thing that's keeping you alive right now. They took him in to do surgery, bypass surgery, open heart. They did nine bypasses on him. I've never heard of such. Nine bypasses. Doctor came out, the surgeon talked to us, told us we've done this and that, we've moved this around, we've got this vein, nine bypass. Explained the whole thing to us. I said, well, what, doc, what about the little natural bypass? What'd you do with that? He said, we, preacher, we didn't touch that. He said, God did that and we left it alone. You know, God don't need any help to do something big and miraculous in your life. He can do it all by himself with a little bit of faith. I had the surgeon explain to me one time how they do bypass surgery. They take a vein, usually a long one, usually in your leg, and they cut it up into smaller pieces and make all of the bypasses out of it. But the problem with that vein is like the problem that you already have. It's 70 years old too. 
know, and it's got buildup on the inside of it and it could get blocked again. And so you know what they do with it? Even though it's tiny, smaller than the lead in a pencil, this long vein, they turn it inside out because the outside doesn't have any plaque buildup on it. And so you got a brand new vein on the inside. They turn it inside out. I wonder if anybody in here needs God to turn something inside out for you. Something that's just got years of mistakes. Years of you trying, you working at it, and only making it worse. God can make it new. Relationship you struggled with and you only made it worse, God can make it new. Financial situation you fought for and only made it worse. A bad habit, it's only gotten worse, become an addiction. God can make it new. A mess you've made, God can make it brand new. You'll be amazed at what God can do with your life when you give Him room. Now, there are a lot of things you can do. You can pray more. I hope you do. You can come to church and worship, make a commitment to your family. I continue to say this. Every family at Daystar Church should make a commitment to your family. If it's Sunday, we will worship. Every Sunday. We don't vacation from worship. If we go on vacation, Daystar's right there with us on our phone screen. We're going to take an hour as a family. We're going to always work. A lot of good things you, we serve as a family. We give. Teach your kids to tithe. A lot of wonderful things you can do as a family. But there's some things only God can do for you. You gotta get out of the way and let God be God. Let him have it. Get alone with him and say, God, do something in my life. You know, I grew up in a tiny little church. We social distance because you only had 18 people in our church. Just a few people. The preacher would take the microphone, had a long cord and big Looked like an ice cream cone. Do y'all remember those? <laughs> Big old thing on the top of it. What's the Lord done in your life today, brother? And he'd stick it in your face and you just got to testify. Most terrifying thing in my life, when he started doing that, I would just pretend like I was praying. I actually was God make him go away. What if I ask you that? What if I put that mic in your face? Tell me what God's done in your life. Do you have an answer? Tell me the most exciting thing God's done in your life recently. What if I said, tell me what God's doing right now that you're excited about? Do you have an answer? If you don't, I promise you, it's not because God doesn't want to do something exciting in your life. You, you have to make room for him. You got to stop some stuff and say, God, there's time for you here. Some of you might be saying, I have an answer. He's kept me alive and sane in 2020. Reasonably sane, partially sane. That's a good answer. I get it. I know it's just been too crazy right now. And, and you know what? If we're not careful, we'll think that we're just supposed to survive this moment. Don't, don't miss this. What if you weren't meant to survive this moment, but you were designed for this moment? That, that, that God really does know every single person, I mean, down to the cellular level, made you look the way you look, made you be weird the way you're weird. Everybody's weird in some way, right? Can I hear an amen? God made that weird part of you. He made you talented in where you're talented. And all of that, he put you in the town you live in, put you with the person you're with, the family you're born to, everything for this moment. You Think about it. You were chosen to live in the worst pandemic in your lifetime. And, and 
historic racial unrest, live in the worst attack on the American church in at least 100 years. God puts you here. Do you think it was so you would hunker down till Jesus comes? Or did he put you here because there's something special about you that this world needs? What if you got up every morning and said, man, I heard somebody say one time, I want to live my life in a way that when I wake up in the morning, put my legs over the side of the bed, and when my feet hit the floor, that the devil goes, oh God, he's up. Oh God, he's awake. <laughs> you might think, well, that's it's kind of optimistic for me, you know. <laughs> but what if you put your feet on the floor every morning and said, I'm going to do something for God today. You might be staggering in and out. You might not be toeing the line, but whatever I've got, I'm going to give it to God today. God's going to use me to do something today. I'll be honest with you. I've kind of had thoughts. You know, our church plans weeks, months, and years in advance, and COVID blows up plans. You know that, right? You've seen it in your own life, businesses. And I've had thoughts of just saying, maybe we just ride this out. We just kind of press pause on everything and see what happens. Then I heard the voice of God say, what if the next thing that happens is the second coming of Jesus Christ? And I know my Bible enough to know that if the next thing to happen is the second coming of Jesus Christ, then we are living in the greatest falling away and revival. Did you know both are happening at the same time? The greatest falling away and the greatest end time revival the world has ever known is going to happen just before Jesus comes back. What if Jesus, go read Matthew 24 and 25 and tell me if you don't think we're living in the last days. What if Jesus is about to come back right now? I don't have time to hunker down. I just got to engage and fully give everything to God. I want you to live a life on purpose. I want you to live a life of meaning. And, and you know what? You're not going to be able to do that if you're walking around with guilt and fear. If you're walking around feeling like I'm just kind of going to hold on until things settle down. I want you to fully engage with who God is calling you to be in this moment. 